We gotta wait to get to that song because I got some shit to say, and it's positive. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Baby Lee Roth, the podcast about playlists. And now, here are Callie, Erica, and Bridget. Welcome to Baby Lee Roth, the podcast about playlists. I'm Bridget. I'm Erica. And I'm Callie. This week's theme is songs that refer to other songs, which seems pretty self-explanatory. Would either of you like to talk about how you feel about this theme? It's a fun one because, like, when you Google, it just comes up with the same fucking six things. So you have to reach into your own, like, memory bank of what songs have have been referenced before in other songs. And then it was really fun to research them because I found out some things that were not only, like, that song is referencing a song, but then later the song that was referencing the song is referenced in another song. So there's just, like, many layers of this onion that were very exciting for me. I agree. This one was a hard one for that exact reason that you had to, one had to wander through one's own mind palace to find the songs. Journey mm. through one's own forest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my and mind I, palace is very disorganized. I had a couple that were obvious and one of which I chose and the rest of them, like I, I Googled one of them because the other ones I had to just like sit and think. And then when I actually remembered them. I was like, oh, duh, like, of course, this is a song that references another song. I just didn't think about it for a while. But then I did Google my final song, and you'll understand why that is when I get to it. <laughs> the little, little uh, surprise. Yeah, I had one Some that came to me in a, in a fitful sleep one night. I woke up in the middle of it. I was like, oh, oh, that's the one, and like wrote it down in a note. And so I have a note that just <laughs> says that, and then I close the page. <laughs> So, I think that's probably going to happen to me tonight after we finish recording. I'll be like, oh, <laughs> like 16 we can do a, times. We can do a part two someday. Please, no. Never want to think about this again. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're one and done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you want to talk about the ballad of Dorothy Parker? I do. It's my favorite Prince song. Oh, my favorite song, she said. This is my favorite Prince song when I have to actually answer that question. A lot of the time when people ask me that, I'm like, I don't know. And I rattle off like five or ten different songs. But this is like, basically, if I'm trying to ask someone who doesn't or someone asks me that who doesn't know me that way, I'll just put this song out there and be like, this is it. Because I always end up returning back to this song. Um, The whole period of Prince's music post-revolution the whole like jazzy post psychedelic dreamscape of side of the times because it, it combined dream factory and what was supposed to become the triple album. Is it a triple album or double? Album? It was supposed yeah, to be a triple, triple album. album. Yeah. Crystal ball. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Cause that was the reason why it didn't get made. <laughs> so we were like, Warner Brothers was like, no, <laughs> but yeah, that, that whole era of Prince's music is my favorite. I love the stuff that was supposed to be Crystal Ball and um, Ballad of Dorothy Parker was supposed to be on that album. That's why it has such a weird, like, dreamy feeling to it. Um, The other reason it has a dreamy feeling to it is, of course, famously, it was recorded on a console that only had half of its 
power supply due to an outage and Prince just continued to record and just refused to stop recording and then ended up liking the recording that that happened. So the reason I chose this is because he uh, interpolates a song from Joni Mitchell. I love Sign of the Times. And I actually read a several page document about the making of it and every song. And many of the songs on Sign of the Times were made where there there was like a technical error and Prince was like, I don't care, go with it. Like um, forever in my life. There's like mm-hmm. uh, the backing vocals or the harmony, whatever, which is which is him is it's either delayed or it's before some there's some kind of delay on it and i love how it turned he was like yeah i like it i dig it like he was just very open to things he felt very he said that he felt very free after having left um you know the revolution behind and left behind that kind of like basically the crossing over into white radio aspect and was like i'm gonna do black music and it was very funky I will wrap up my sign in the times um, monologue here in a moment. But one of my favorite things was um, housequake that beat like boom, 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 boom. So they had been recording all day long and Prince was notorious for like super long recording sessions. He had like unlimited stamina once he started a creative project. So finally they were like, okay, let's all go out to eat. And he was like, all right, all right, let's leave the studio. But as they were leaving um, sunset studios or whatever, they were walking out and everybody's, footsteps on the floor someone like hit a floorboard and like the pattern of everybody's steps and made that boom 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 and he was like oh my god oh drums for my new song back in back in and they were like oh man <laughs> <laughs> but i liked that and i liked that was the the vibe of everything sign of the times and so i like the um kind of muted quality of this song and the simplicity of it mm-hmm. it's prince by himself doing what he does best is singing about affairs yeah um, my favorite line is the quirky metaphor. She didn't see the movie because she hadn't read the book first, which was referring to like not having sex with you before you know the person. It's, it's just like such an interesting way to put that. In. And it has the dreamy quality that pervades a lot of the song and a lot of a lot of sign of the times because it was a lot of leftovers from Dream Factory. And yeah, I'll, pretty much the whole song takes place in a bath, which is seemingly one of Prince's favorite with his times. pants and, on. Um, yeah, with his pants on, which like sounds like because cool he's in a relationship, in which is like Prince is notorious. You in a bath already, bro? Like you might as well take <laughs> yeah, just you go for it. And then it's like in the context of the song, it sounds cool, but then you think about the actual logistics of taking a bath with your pants on. It's like that sounds mad uncomfortable. Sensory nightmare. Also, like, what pants of princes are these? Are these, like, the assless chap cutout ones? Or, like, they full sequins? Like, what's he wearing? He's doesn't... There's, like, one picture of prince in jeans, and it's from, like, 1981. So we can rule that out. But... I can't imagine that any of those options would be comfortable in a bath. No. I was just thinking, though, about, like, the, oh, well, I'm in a relationship, so I'm gonna keep my pants on. Here's the thing. Prince was notorious for having all of his girlfriends at once work on stuff together like the thieves in the temple video <laughs> is robin powers and anna fantastic together with jill jones is doing like backing vocals and the drums are sheila e so he was doing them all at the same time they're all in that together and then later one of the one of my favorite the music video award show i think it was the amys where he performs billy jack Bitch in like 94 nona gay introduces him Carmen Electra is dancing and then he's with Maite. So he's got yeah, three he of them pants on? all on stage together. But did he have his pants on? He did have his pants okay, on. So technically, so... <laughs> technically he's in the clear. No problem. No, no problem. problem. Next. Did they know about each other? 
Yeah. Well, then. That's like Prince's whole thing. But that's different from cheating. It's not cheating if it's agreed upon, but it sounds like he's trying to avoid cheating by keeping his pants on because maybe he and his other partners haven't talked about him sleeping with someone in this particular bathtub. And that's what the metaphor for keeping your pants on means. Hey, one time I ate a hamburger in a bathtub and it was, I highly recommend it. (laughs) That sounds pretty good. I don't drink alcohol anymore, so I've been trying to figure out what can replace shower beer and it might be shower burger. Eat a hamburger. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like an impossible burger in the shower. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just, I don't take, I I get too bored in a bath. I maybe have undiagnosed ADHD. If you know anything about me, I know, shocking. Um, But yeah, I can't, I, in a bath, I just, I just fidget and I'm like, are we done yet? Are we done yet? It's not fun for me. No part of it is fun. I love a bath. I wish. I like baths. Um, I think that the takeaway from Ballad of Dorothy Parker is that polyamory and cheating are different. Shout out to my San Francisco friends. I hope I get some points from you for saying that. <laughs> it's all about consent. Consent yeah. and transparency. If looks could kill you, would be an easy over shotgun bang. What's up with that thing? I want to know. How does it hang? Straight up, wait up, hold up, Mr. Lover. Like Prince said, you're a sexy mother. Well, uh, I like them real wild. B-boy style by the mile. Smooth black skin with a smile. So I'm going to talk about salt and pepper Shoop, which kind of transitions nicely from Prince because the song that they reference is, like Prince said, you're a sexy mother. Uh, which is a reference to Sexy Motherfucker from 1992's The Love Symbol album. So Salt and Peppa, I had a lot of fun researching because when they, when Salt and Peppa were in college, they were working together at Sears <laughs> and they were working with Salt's uh, boyfriend, Herbie Azor. He goes by Herbie Lovebug Azor. They had an interview in the Ro- in Rolling Stone magazine where they talked about their formation and they're like, yeah, one day Herbie was just like from his cubicle, like, hey, can you guys rap? <laughs> and then Salt and Peppa happened. So fast forward a long way, they got to Shoop. And Shoop was recorded right after Salt had broken up with Herbie, and it was their first song away from him. So they were really trying really hard to have their own sound and be like, we can do this without you. And the point of Shoop was it can, you know, they've been on record saying, it means whatever you want it to mean, and it's like a sex-positive thing And we wanted to show men how they talk about women. And we can do that, too. Like, how does it hang, you know? So I really liked that part. And then they talked about later how a couple years later, Whitney Houston came out with the Shoop song, Exhale, from Waiting to Exhale. And Whitney Houston told salt and Peppa, yeah, that's a reference to Shoop. So I liked how that came full circle. Um, and also, Salt and Pepper was the, the first female rap group to go gold or platinum. It was really cool to be like twelve when this their songs were really big and be have anybody being like, actually, it's okay to like boys and doing it and stuff. It's not shameful. I did not know the information that after let's talk about sex came out peter jennings was like hey can you make this a psa and they re-recorded a version that's that was an hiv like awareness kind of public service announcement to to make it yeah to make it and it's the first line of that is like you know they're not going to play this on the radio so it was very like (laughs) tongue-in-cheek 
Um, one of the things that I found out was they're all like, why is push it a hit? Like, that's not our favorite. <laughs> like, they're still like, every time I hear it, I'm like, this is the one? This is what's the best? This is everybody's favorite? And it's like, they're perplexed by it. So, and I, I always love finding that's that so out good. about artists. Their favorite and then maybe not so favorite songs to play or to perform or to be known for. Remember none of your business. Yeah, I like that song. That song means a lot my mom to me. Had a CD in the car that had because my mom would pirate music a lot from good old Napster back in the good old days when you could steal music and it was a whole thing. I mean, I guess you still can, but it was like it had Shoop and it had none of your business on it, and I would listen to that in the car all the time going to elementary school, and then I would rap um, Shoop to entertain my mom. Oh, I know all the words. I know every of the words. I think every white lady does. Do you remember when Ellen DeGeneres came out? Yeah, her stand-up. Who? Ellen DeGeneres on her special. She like came out to it. She ended her stand-up, her HBO 2001 or 2002 stand-up. Yeah. I I yeah, I love this song. And then Ellen DeGeneres used it, and I was like, this song isn't cool anymore to me. And then I realized that the premises of it being cool in the first place were not actually cool, which is that I could rap it as a child to my mom. <laughs> and I'm as, like, as, a small, cool. as a small white child, you could recite all yeah. the words. Yeah, it used to be cool. <laughs> it is a cool song, though. You know what else would be a fun um playlist theme that i was thinking about while you guys were talking about prince is artists with rabid fan bases okay. because i've never known as much about any band as you guys know just said about prince like that's far more information i've never but i've never been part of a big fandom yeah uh, prince became a hyper fixation for me Although I don't identify with the fan base and really tried to remove myself, but the amount of information I know is frankly embarrassing at this point. So at least that's someone cool because I'm like that with Kiss and I don't even like Kiss that much, but I know so much about Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, it's even more like at least knowing a lot about Prince is like, it's kind of cool. When I tell people I know a lot about Kiss, it's like, Oh, no. <laughs> questionable. I wish I knew less. When I was in middle school, my guy was Alice Cooper, and I probably could tell you every person who ever recorded a song with Alice Cooper. So I guess I did at one point. But there's no Alice Cooper fandom in suburban California in 1995. <laughs> surprisingly. <laughs> Now let's take a hard turn for the mayonnaise uh, after our last two selections, a little bit more exciting. This is called Song for Zula, and it is by Phosphorescent, which is a stage name for Matthew Hook. This song is the centerpiece of his 2013 album, Machacho. <laughs> Speaking of really Caucasian ways to pronounce things, Machacho. Um, Machacho. <laughs> the Hank Hill. Machacho. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Um, okay. Which he wrote and recorded after losing his girlfriend and the studio where he lived and worked. Um, he broke up with his girlfriend on tour and then somehow couldn't live at his studio anymore so he was very sad and this is this song that got me thinking about songs that refer to other songs the first time i heard it i was like hey now 
those are Johnny Cash lyrics. What's going on here? And that made me want to find other songs like that. And now 10 years later, it's happening. Finally. So the opening lines of the song are from Johnny Cash's Ring of Fire, but they're kind of uh, the whole rest of the song is disagreeing with them because it's about love, like destroying your life and leaving you in ashes rather than the exciting beginning kindling. Um, although Dan Solomon of Texas Monthly said that it is a, this song is a sad tale of love and escaped gorillas. And personally, I like that interpretation a lot more. Don't know where he got the gorillas from, but I think I was just reading about it. I think Zula is a gorilla. What? I think I think Zula was a gorilla, like a a gorilla in a zoo. I like I think it was a like you know how they name yeah gorillas. Hold on, like Harambe Who is Zula. <laughs> yes, like Harambe. Yeah, I was reading Genius while we the song was playing, and it said something about it being a gorilla. I think so someone I think just made that up. Reference to that, but. Uh, you know, it's the internet, so obviously it's true. So I don't know what you are trying to say, oh, Bridget, but <laughs> no, the internet gave you that information. I just need everyone to know that I too went to Google it, but I forgot that in classic Erica fashion I had caps lock on because I was yelling about something via text. And so I just typed in very in all capital is Yeah. And it all filled for me. I need to know. It's really nice. And then all you find is is that one quote. From Dan Solomon? Yeah. Yeah. So I, guess I think he thought that, have. and it now is spread like wildfire. Maybe he had a gorilla <laughs> named Zula that escaped from his personal zoo, and so he was like, this is about my life. <laughs> this is such a specifically meaningful song for me. I can't believe yeah. there's another person out there that's experienced the heartbreak of losing your gorilla named Zula. gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, for, for me, this song works really well on the playlist with ballad of dorothy parker to me it shares that same dreamy quality um oh a thing i ex- i experienced synesthesia so songs for me the way i experience it is songs have colors and and different instruments have different colors and textures and and um qualities and for me a lot of the playlists that i'll make for my own listening they'll kind of they'll, they'll be songs with a similar like color palette or or um I guess people without synesthesia would say like the same vibe. So, you know, that, but for me, it's like, you know, just to get personal to me, it's like, it's deeper where it's like, it's like a little bit cloudier, a little bit murkier. They're both like mm-hmm. kind of muted tones of, of blue and gray, yeah. like with like little bits of like green poking through and stuff. Um, but those are very like two very, like to me, very dreamy. Like if I describe them, they'd be like watercolor. Yeah. Because I too have synesthesia. So I love it. To, and two, wait. two people with synesthesia explaining this to each other. Wait, so. Bridget, do, don't you have synesthesia too? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry, so I was uh, distracted because Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine tweeted that Song for Zula is about a gorilla. Two okay, facts! Well, it's canon! That's true. It's canon. This is about a gorilla. It's canon. It's I don't even. I don't even think it's about. I don't think it's about a breakup in the loss of the studio. I think we can say with <laughs> complete confidence that this is about a gorilla escaping. Only about a gorilla. Um. So were you saying that your synesthesia makes the song brown? No, that's grunge music. <laughs> I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, <laughs> no. I'm offended that you go there. I, I thought it was for me. It's like murky. <laughs> I, 
I forgot you hear Pearl Jam is brown. Um, everybody <laughs> should know that. Lead with that in my obituary. Um, no, for <laughs> me, it's very like muted. <laughs> it's muted, um, like grayish, and and Callie said it sounds like watercolors. Oh yeah. So I like that we can deduce we're all three. Sagittarius. We know what colors. We know what medium. <laughs> also, yes, we've we've deduced that. Um, but yeah, it's like it's kind of murky, and then there's like for me, there's like bits of kind of green that come through, maybe like a little bit like a dash of like a gold, but it's very like cloudy and dreamy, and like um, it's the opposite of how I hear like disco. Ah, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, murky or grunge, kind of shimmery, murky. Like um, like a puddle, <laughs> like a puddle a on puddle the ground. With some gas on it. <laughs> yes, this song sounds like a puddle at a gas station. Yeah. Do you think having like usually the synesthesia is I picture fabric? I don't know if it's because I hmm. I'm always touching fabric or it could be for, for me. The thing that I think is that it could be more like how you perceive it just because of the context of your of your life how you oh yeah like i don't usually just picture more. colors i usually picture them as objects that are usually fabrics yeah i paint yeah. so that would make yeah. sense but specifically when i think yeah. of the song i think about kind of like a black like coarse but straight kind of fur and like a leathery hand not unlike a gorilla <laughs> I'm <just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for y'all to understand what I was talking about and you did talk about sequel songs because ashes to ashes is a sequel song and it's actually a sequel song that references another sequel song so this is a very meta contribution <laughs> to this playlist um, because bowie is of course referencing himself he's referencing space oddity within well throughout the whole song really but um you can definitely hear it on the first line where he pretty much reminds you about space oddities like remember this guy major tom well now he's a junkie and (laughs) like 10 years have gone by um space oddity was probably bowie's best known song in his early career i think everybody knows space oddity Um, it's appeared in a lot of movies and stuff and in ashes to ashes bowie's kind of looking back to his early career and looking back on the last decade and reflecting on how he's probably going to be known pretty much from space oddity and also from like Ziggy Stardust and all that and there's pretty much he's reached his peak and there's nothing left in his career which is crazy to think of that this song is from 1980 and Bowie was thinking about that (laughs) the other sequel song it references is Peggy Sue Got Married by Buddy Holly so like pretty much the structure of at least the first verse is structured off of Peggy Sue Got Married where he's saying like do you remember this person well here's another song about them basically and yeah, like I was saying, it is crazy that Bowie thought that 1980 was the end of his career because this was just like four years before he was dancing with Tina Turner in a Pepsi commercial and Let's Dance came out. And it was like, I think like probably commercially that was the peak of Bowie's career. But in 1980, he thought it was like Ziggy Stardust and Space Oddity, which is hilarious to me. Um, also, sidebar, have y'all seen this commercial? No. I watched the video recently and in it, David Bowie creates like a monster Frankenstein ass Tina Turner. He like puts her boots in this thing, this like 
machine and then there's a big explosion and he's like in this like pepsi haze like (laughs) he's dressed up in this like nerdy outfit like bill nye outfit and he's like chugging pepsi and like putting all these like components into this machine and then it's like an explosion and then tina turner emerges from this machine and he's just created (laughs) tina turner he frankensteins a tina turner with pepsi yes yes so now we know how tina turner was created in 1985 by fucking hot and uh, (laughs) in in the explosion his hair gets blown back and so he's like a cool guy now and then they're just like dancing around in the spirit of pepsi and it's such a great great commercial you need to drink pepsi everybody it's great but isn't also dancing in the street with mick jagger not that that's a Pepsi commercial, but there's definitely a point where Mick Jagger takes a big old hearty swig of Pepsi and then they sit oh, down the can honestly, and pause on it for a moment. I think that might be Coca-Cola. So <laughs> I think it might be Coca-Cola. Pepsi also had Michael Jackson. Like Pepsi apparently had an unlimited celebrity budget in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Um, it took me a second to remember that this music video for Ashes to Ashes is the one... Mm. I was watching a documentary after David Bowie died and your your streaming services are like, here's all these documentaries now that you can watch. So I was watching one of those and they were talking about the making of this video and it was after Ziggy Stardust, it's after Space Oddity, it's after all these different things and David Bowie calls <laughs> up who ended up being the director of the music video and I forget who it is. But they're like, yeah, I got a phone call from David Bowie. It was like, oh, could you shoot this new music video for me? And they're like, yeah, what do you want it to be? And he's like, oh, I want to be a sad clown on the beach. So the music video is David Bowie. It's a very sad clown on the beach. And I forgot that that was this video until I looked at it. He's in an asylum. Like, like, he's in an asylum. <laughs> he's like, uh, some of the other actors in the video are the Blitz kids from the Blitz Club. So these were, this was like a club that I think on Tuesday night, it was the birthplace of the New Romantic era, which was very influenced by David Ooh. Bowie. And so they were heavily influenced by Bowie. And I just find it interesting that in this song where it's, it's kind of like a cautionary tale of like, at the end, they keep re- repeating, my mother says to get things done, you better not mess with Major Tom. It's kind of like, don't go down my path. But then he's using like, his followers literally following him in the video <laughs> it's it's really interesting um i think what makes bowie such a great artist and and he was relevant up to his death and even continues to be relevant now is the fact that he always looked back and like looked back and forward looked to the future was always paying attention to what's new even on black star i think i read something where he said he was listening to kendrick lamar's new album at the time which i think yeah, he was, was he was very aware but um he was aware and like it in always on the cutting edge and, and that really stands out in scary monsters and super Creeps, which is the album wow. that ashes ashes is on and all of his previous albums and up to black star where you know that he's like hyper aware of everything that's going on and is able mm-hmm. to implement in his music and i love bowie and he's great drink pepsi <laughs> um sidebar one of my favorite things to of of like later bowie was when he was on extras yeah yeah i know i couldn't agree more i think i well i think the funniest part about that too obviously the whole thing is funny but the funniest part about that is like i think when it begins ricky gervais is talking and he just like shushes him and goes (laughs) <laughs> and then just like comes out with this whole song about him like right in front of him, <laughs> him all the time. but you can see like the thought where he's like hey, it's so funny i love bowie it's just it's it's beautiful it's beautiful what a, what a gem that man was oh my god you know who else is a gem 
of Truly. a different caliber. Miley Cyrus. I can buy myself flowers. Write my name in the sand. Talk to myself for hours. Say things you don't understand. So this is a song that sounds very similar to Bruno Mars's When I Was Your Man. And it kind of echoes the lyrics of it where it's kind of an answer to it. And the reason it, well, that's the reference, but the reason why many people are speculating that it is a red song is number one, people are saying that at their engagement, Liam Hemsworth dedicated When I Was Your Man to Miley Cyrus, which is a little bit fucked up because it is a breakup song. Like it's about like When I Was Your Man and how can you dedicate somebody else's song? I don't know, whatever. In addition to that, she references the lyrics, like in Bruno Mars's song, the chorus, he says, I should have bought you flowers. And the first line of Miley's chorus says, I can buy myself flowers and write my name in the sand. And, you know, we, Bruno Mars, I take you to every party because all you wanted to do was dance. And Miley Cyrus says, I can take myself dancing. So, number one, she released this song on Liam Hemsworth's birthday. Number two music video was shot at a house and not just any house but it's miley cyrus dancing through the rooms of this gorgeous villa where liam hemsworth cheated on at least 14 cheated with at least 14 different women on miley cyrus when they were married so she's dancing through it topless excited beautiful and just doesn't give a fuck at all and then it ends and she's dancing on the roof and there's like like by the pool and fireworks maybe unclear but it's fucking great also the song is a banger i genuinely love miley cyrus save for the brief period of time where as many of us go through in our 20s we're kind of embarrassing but she's you know coming out the other side of it and i genuinely do enjoy her and i like her deep raspy voice yeah i actually didn't mind the song I actually like Party in the USA, too. Sorry, I'll out myself. It's fine. It came out when I was an adult. I still listen to it. I like a lot of Miley Cyrus Which is another song that references songs. Because she said... Oh, yeah. It references Jay-Z. Yeah. And the Jay-Z song was on. Well, or a Britney song was on. Depends which verse. I said this while it was playing earlier, but I would... The only quibble I have is I wish the, like, backing track was a little bit more exciting. A little bit lusher. You wish the garden of flowers was a little bit more full and lush. Mm -hmm. But that's, you know what? This isn't a music criticism podcast. This is a celebrity gossip podcast. Podcast. (laughs) So. (laughs) This is a podcast where we submit information as (laughs) canon. (laughs) Liam Hemsworth wrote and recorded When I Was Your Man, released it on his own birthday, dedicated it to Miley Cyrus, and here we are. Have I got that right? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, Bridget, let's do a hard pivot over to Nick Cave. Um, this song is a huge bummer. We don't have to listen to it if you guys don't want to. You could just read the lyrics. I love it. I listen to it every day, but I know. We can listen to it. I was just thinking it's so funny how, like, so many of the songs on this playlist is kind of a hard listen to if you're not in the mood. <laughs> The man is still on the loose. It seems he's done many, many more. 
quotes John Milton on the walls and the victim's blood. The police are investigating a tremendous cause. In my house he wrote his red right hand. That I'm told is from Paradise Lost. Uh, song of Joy is the first song on the album Murder Ballads. And in the kind of final stanza, he the narrator says his red right hand which is a reference both to Milton's Paradise Lost and to the Bad Seeds big hit from their previous album a song called Red Right Hand um, which if you have heard one Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds songs that's probably it Um, so the song is about it's narrated by a man whose wife and children were murdered and as the song goes on the listener starts to realize that it was the narrator himself who killed them. And he's asking to be let into another family's home so, in the guise of a traveler. But I think we all know what he's really going to do once he gets in there. I, this was my, one of my first like records that I bought or CDs that I bought as like a middle school kid. And I listened to it far too much. Every song on it is about murder. Hence the name. Um, <laughs> and okay. So, but Red Right Hand is definitely a reference to Paradise Lost, which Nick Cave is always referencing, like directly quoting the Bible and Milton and Dante um, and also Elvis. So he might just be talking about the line from Milton, but he also might be referring to his previous song. And while that doesn't say that much about Song of Joy, I think that does clarify that Red Right Hand is actually about Satan because in Song of Joy, he's like, I'm quoting Milton when I say red right hand and the line in paradise lost is for sure talking about Satan. But meanwhile, previously, Oh my God, I've got the red strings on the chalkboard. Um, <laughs> Nick Cave has never said red right hand is for sure about Satan. He says, it's just about, you don't need to know what it's about. But then in song of joy, he makes it pretty clear. It's about Satan. The end. I love your red strings on the, on the board with the bush bins. <laughs> Connecting all the Nick Cave dots. I don't know any of them, so it's like I would go on record and say I don't know fucking anything. So I love one of my favorite things in life is is asking someone who's very passionate about something to explain something to me, which I do to Bridget often. Um, in our podcast group tags, I asked Bridget, "Hey, so what's? Could you explain lame is to me rather than look it up because it's so much more fascinating to learn information that way." So thank you for connecting. I like that if he refers to the man from Red Right Hand as handsome, that that means that Nick Cave thinks that Satan is handsome. I just like that little factoid. Yeah, I also think Satan is handsome. Yeah, that's Satan's whole thing. He's well, enticing. Yeah, yeah, I guess it, I guess it is his whole thing. He, he is literally canonically <laughs> he's handsome. Hell, he's but I guess that is also subjective. To about this, so watch out. Press one for more info. Go. When Satan is in hell as a fallen angel, he's ugly, all burnt up, disgusting. But when he comes to Earth, he can take on any form he wants and usually picks a handsome man because they're very persuasive. It's his thing. Ah. Everybody wants to be a hottie. Um, so basically I'm saying there's a Nick Cave multiverse. And in this Nick Cave multiverse, Satan is real. His right hand is red. And he can tempt you, the narrator of Song of Joy, into killing people. And he is a zaddy. And also, <laughs> most importantly, zaddy. <laughs> You had mentioned earlier that 
Nick Cave was very influenced by like Honky Tonk and Blues and that song is like what if Honky Tonk was a dirge? Yeah. What if what if what if this song with a saloon piano was about murder? Like it's very it, I like it very much. Like it's definitely like a uh it's spooky and it's for me for synesthesia it's black. Mm -hmm. That's just a black yeah. that's a black song and there's but it's like like if you're in a dark room and someone opens a door and there's like a stream of light that comes in yeah. but that stream of light is like like a unsettling strobe light. Oh. Yeah. I imagine candlelight. candlelight. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that too. Um, I think I'm a little too influenced by the sound effects in the song, which are like blowing wind, and he's talking a lot about it being stormy. So I don't get good synesthesia from this song because the lyrics are too evocative. Like it's putting an image in my head, so I can't really tell. Mm -hmm. But um, I do love yeah. how, like, that's my favorite. One of my favorite things about Nick Cave is how his lyrics are really like narrative and thought out and um like all the songs really on this playlist so far there's like a whole thing going on it's not just like oh these two words rhyme it's like you could read it as a poem separate from hearing the music and it would still be cool i also like that you were 13 listening to nick cave albums because when i was 13 i took my media and play gift card and i bought smash mouth <laughs> So that's embarrassing. No, <laughs> I'm glad your musical tastes were a lot, <laughs> a lot more um, poignant. Um, I don't know. I also listen Smash to Mouth's the Walking the on the Sun, Phantom of the Opera original cast recording, pretty much every day. So I have been obsessed with ghosts and vampires since I could read. I love this about you. I was just obsessed with Mark Bolo when I was 13. That's legitimately <laughs> cool. Is it? <laughs> yeah. My Not according to everybody like, else at my middle school. Everyone was just like, oh, hope this girl doesn't turn into a serial killer. Luckily, I didn't. Fuck out of here, boy, down with the cow. Fuck Gene Simmons, you make me sick. Psycho sick, it's just all my shit. Why I spit your blood out and do your dance, but I'ma kick that ass through your leather pants. Fuck one loser. Callie, tell us all the facts that you know about ICP, please. I gotta be honest with you, I know very little, despite them being from Detroit, um, but I had to include them, mainly because it's a diss track to my favorite band to hate, The Hottest Band in the Land, Kiss. You know them, we love them. They are the grown-ass men who dress like clowns, not to be confused with ICP. <laughs> Everybody Rise includes a reference to Kiss's 1998 song, Psycho Circus, from the album of the same name, the titular track. Psycho Circus. The whole album included a creepy carnival theme that is quite reminiscent to ICP's branding. And if y'all haven't checked out the Nutsoid CGI Fever Dream video to Psycho Circus, then I highly recommend <laughs> it. It looks like it looks like a PC game from the nineties. It's oh god. I mean, it, I mean, it is from the nineties. It's from nineteen ninety six or whatever. But it's or maybe it's from nineteen ninety eight. I think it's from nineteen ninety eight because it was right before this song came out. And nineteen ninety six was there. Their, uh, comeback tour. I know y'all are really riveted by these kiss facts, but always, yeah. Psycho Circus from 1998, and then a year later, ICP comes out with Everybody Rise, which includes a diss to Gene Simmons. He says he's gonna kick his uh, ass through his leather pants. <laughs> and I mean, who among us doesn't want to kick Gene Simmons's ass? I like when they make fun of their clown makeup because that's like ICP's. <laughs> Takes one to know one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, and I, I feel like the, I feel like 
obviously they were like clowning on not if you look the pun, they're clowning on his for wearing clown makeup because they're wearing clown makeup and it's kind of like they're being self-referential because i have the feeling that icp are some jokesters um but also the it's fact that thing. kiss have long been associated with detroit they recorded part of what would become kiss alive at the then kobo hall which is now huntington place um <laughs> it's not called kobo anymore kobo was a racist um and detroit embraced kiss early in their career as paul stanley would disgustingly say with open arms and open legs they wrote detroit rock city as an ode to detroit's music scene um, so that's another thing. So I feel like like Kiss has always been associated with Detroit. So that's probably another thing that ICP's Violent J would have a chip on his shoulder about. And of course, at the time, Kiss had just started their um, reunion tour with the original lineup and put the makeup back on. So they they were just, like the the Kiss makeup had newly been put on again since the eighties. <laughs> so. Um, there was a lot of comparisons to ICP. I guess like music journalists at the time would compare ICP to Kiss. So, oh, oh uh, my! ICP turned that around and claimed that Kiss actually stole from them. Well, which is although not factual, really funny. <laughs> that's very believable though, because as discussed, Kiss loves stealing things from people. Yeah, exactly. I could go on a long, long, long tangent about that, but I will. Judges <laughs> ruling ICP. <laughs> My brain is spinning with so many questions. <laughs> the hamster reel is really just going quickly right now. Um, first of all, not to be one to continually extol the virtues of the insane clown posse, but when COVID happened, one of the first groups to cancel anything and take it seriously was ICP. They canceled the gathering of the jugglers. They were like, hey, all this isn't safe before anybody else was shutting shit down. Like, they were on the cutting edge of fan safety. Frankly, politically, I agree with ICP on almost everything that I've heard from them. With KISS, I agree politically on almost nothing. <laughs> um, I embarrassingly do actually think I would listen to this song more than a lot of the other songs on this playlist. And that is because <laughs> of something I've been trying to put in words, but I can't. But I think what it is, is when the singer really sounds like they're feeling something, I can connect to a song. But if their voice is kind of like relaxed and smooth, I can't connect to the song. So like, obviously, the Prince song is a better song. Obviously. I personally, just the way I relate to music, I can't really get like hooked into that Prince song. But Insane Clown Bossy yeah. right away. Probably for the same reason that uh, Flame and Hot Cheetos are easier to eat than Escargot. He was really mad about Psycho Circus. He didn't like that shit. And I too was mad about Psycho Circus. I also love that ICP creates this, like, a a lot of my friends growing up were, like, I mentioned in the group chat that one of my high school boyfriends was a juggalo, although we didn't know that's what they were called. But he loved ICP and his best friend did too. And they would, like, go to the concerts. And I wasn't into it then. But I like that for, like, kind of low-income people in rural places or like shitty little towns who don't fit in with whatever the mainstream is there's this whole community of people who are also weird and probably don't feel like they fit in that really care about each other and get together at least once a year they love all the same music and they'll like have fundraisers for each other like they're i don't know it's cool it's a family woo woo. it's a family woo woo. <laughs> 
Yeah. But I, I think that like you were saying with music that resonates with you more because they're passionate about it, but something like, like that, um, the thing where you find your particular brand of weirdos yeah, and you're like, game recognized game like i got like yeah. you you connect and then it makes it more personal and then you just i mean is it it's a human thing is to to want to like find your find your people find people who get you not so much to belong i guess like it's just nice to feel like people understand you at all yeah so i'm like i i can i can get that oh the other the thing that i was thinking of do you find folks know the thing about clown makeup on the eggs mm -hmm. Okay. What is this now? <laughs> Bridget, <laughs> you look like you can articulate it better than I can. Can you explain the you, eggs? The insane clown pot. Okay. Rewind. If a clown wants to trademark their makeup, they paint the makeup on an egg because every clown's makeup is unique, like a thumbprint. And you don't want another clown to copy your makeup. So if you want to copyright it, you paint your clown makeup on an egg and then the egg goes into the clown museum. And if another oh, clown copies your makeup, that's fucking handbreaking time or nose breaking time, I guess. I don't know how clowns enforce their rules. So the question is, is ICP's makeup on an egg, on two eggs in the museum? I don't know, because my question was, are the, well, are the six distinct kiss makeup, are they on? Because I don't think they consider themselves as clowns, but obviously- Kiss, they don't they're not clowns. Clowns. i wouldn't consider them as clowns however they use clown motifs on psycho circus and it seems like violent J and shaggy too don't consider them to be clowns because they said that they jacked their shit so but do clowns consider violent J and shaggy too dope to be clowns you're asking the wrong person we need more clown lore okay clowns weigh in <laughs> Comment below. Clowns win. <laughs> Baby Lee Roth <laughs> podcast at gmail.com. Please hit us with your clown knowledge. next song is jimmy Eat world a praise chorus and there are multiple references in this song so it's sung by jim lead singer and it is technically a duet with davy von bolin from the promise ring and so they reference a couple promise ring songs so you know i love a self-referential song but there's also just a slew of references right about after like kind of two-thirds of the way through the song um there's crimson and clover by tommy james and the shondells our house by madness our house in the middle of the street um that was terrible just so you know i know that wasn't good um we'll auto-tune that in post don't worry <laughs> <laughs> okay they reference rock and roll fantasy by bad company don't let start by they might be giants and then kickstart my heart by motley crew so it's just a slew of references and after all that they go davy sing me something that i know and then the song just continues on so anyway that is off bleed american and one of the things i found very interesting about that album is when they were recording it they were recording it in kind of the late 90s early 2000s one of the ways they, they promoted it is they started just releasing demos onto napster 
and having people download them and listen without having a having an album out. Um, and so people would were familiar with their work and they were amassing a fan base. So I remember having one of my friends tell me, hey, you got to listen to this band, Jamie World, and downloading a few songs for me, like clearly the middle, one of the most cheerful, like positive songs of all time, um, which just speaks to my every bit of personality and whim um but like sweetness and a praise chorus um which song we just listened to and um what else is on bleed american oh hear you me i just remember hearing all those songs and then like in 2000 we're like oh their album came out oh wait no it came out in 2001 sorry my bad so that was in like the late 90s and then bleed american came out in 2001 and then being like oh that wasn't an album till then so it worked and i just and then remember when remember when metallica ruined that and now we just have streaming yeah thanks guys thanks james hetfield but anyway that was how i heard of bleed american so when i was you know researching for this podcast and i read that i was like oh that's fucking great because that's how i heard of them as a very online elder millennial I would go into the basement and sit on the family computer and just troll Napster for stuff to download. That's also how I found a Prince song from 1995 called Pussy Control. It was such a good time for me. And it's like, that. I mean, that's how <laughs> Prince, not to talk about Prince again, but that's how Prince was <laughs> releasing music a lot at that time, like in the 90s, was giving away albums for free. Yeah. It because was it's a, a good way yeah. to get people to listen to music. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah, without with, with being able to release what you want without the edits of a uh, right a label or right. a, you know, and then people will want to buy your music. Like it, uh, yeah. it always made sense to me. But I'm a dirty commie. I think everything should be free. So, oh, girl, same. Let's move on. <laughs> um, Jimmy World sounds identical to like a million other bands to me, and I can't put. I couldn't even tell you. I'm. This is so mean. But I couldn't <laughs> sing this song that we just listened to to you right now. That's okay. I understand. I'm sorry. It's okay. We all have different tastes. That's why we're all here. You like Nick Cave? I like Jimmy Eat World. Callie, well, she doesn't like ICP. <laughs> I shouldn't say I don't like yeah, Jimmy Eat World, though. Don't, don't put that when on. When it's yeah. on, I like it. Like, it's fun. It's very, it's like catchy. I can see dancing to it. It's yeah. just not. But it. that's the beauty to me to get a little mushy here for a moment but that's like the beauty of us doing this podcast together is getting to experience what does resonate with each of us and hearing impassioned rants about nick cave about clown makeup rod stewart about <laughs> clown makeup <laughs> yeah and getting to hear yeah. hear let's, each of us let's discuss. be clear i was trying to talk about kiss that's the real reason why i wanted to <laughs> she, she was, was just really realizing that i wanted to, to talk about well ICP. i'm glad you did because it let me speak sincerely about icp which i never thought would happen <laughs> <laughs> why do you think he chose these references uh, well, the, pr the Promise Ring references their own songs, which is like, I, I, I didn't know the Promise Ring, and so I listened to the songs, and I was like, okay. Um, Madness, because that song is a fucking bop. Yeah. And fucking Motley Crue, because Motley Crue kicks ass. There. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I looked it up, and it was like kind of like a tongue-in-cheek, like, well-known songs, and then Davey, play us something that I know, or play me something that I know after listing off. Oh, so it's like know. in context. It's kind of songs. Okay. Yeah, but I liked those specific versions. I really do like that Madness song. Yeah, it's good. My favorite line from Kickstart My Heart is when 
Vince Neil rhymes kicking ass with kicking ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a fucking kick ass line. Yeah. Really <laughs> hey, remember when we kicked ass? We're still kicking ass. Um, sidebar, I like in Loverboy working for the weekend when he says, You gotta start from the start. Yep. No shit. <laughs> oh, like there's no I don't know. It, it bugs me. It's peeve. I like it personally. I like lazy, shitty lyric writing. I do love T Pain rhyming mansion with Wisconsin. See, that's poetry. That's that's literature. T Pain rules. <laughs> it's like Shakespearean. So White Zombie formed in 1985 when Rob Zombie was at Parsons School of Design. His real name is Rob Straker, if you're curious, and his stage name was Dirt at one point. Um, this album, Astro Creep 2000, came out in 1995, and it was one of the tapes I kept in my backpack to listen on the bus with my Sony Walkman cassette player. The bass player from this band, Sean Yezel, I actually don't know how to pronounce her last name, but um, she, like, I was so excited to see her um like in the songwriting credits and like in this band at all because there's like not a lot of women in metal especially in 1995 and as a tween teen I really inspired by that so this song and a lot of their music actually is a really good example of pastiche which is an aesthetic that was really prominent in the mid-90s the most famous example is pulp fiction it's when someone collages elements of other genres together and layers them to make something new real solution number nine is just all references the title is a reference to the beatles um there are lines from texas chainsaw massacre a snippet from a manson family member interview dialogue from cops a recording from a church revival meeting and then at one point there aren't really super coherent lyrics, but at one point you can hear Rob Zombie saying, I keep a close watch on this heart of mine, which of course is from Johnny Cash's I Walk the Line. Um, this is an unpopular song by an unpopular band, so there's no information whatsoever about <laughs> why they would write it or what they were trying to say. But I think they're probably some pretty um, up in their heads art school kids who were really into like pulpy horror movies and like many Gen Xers had this whole like confusing mix of like cultural signifiers from breakfast cereal and like late night horror movies and Christianity and Johnny Cash all smooshed together. Cultural signifiers from breakfast cereal is one of my favorite <laughs> sentences I've heard in quite some time. <laughs> oh, uh, sometime when I was a teenager, I had an album of alt bands performing Hanna-Barbera cartoon theme songs. <laughs> and it was like Matthew Sweet and like... I would like that. That actually sounds really You sick. would like that. Yeah. Can you find that? I would enjoy that <laughs> yeah, very much. Definitely. <laughs> um, as we were, we were just talking about when we were not recording, I said my favorite Rob Zombie song was Dragula and it was very basic of me and you were like I don't know if it's basic to have a favorite Rob Zombie song. <laughs> I think you've already But I, I also like Living Dead Girl. 
Oh, good. It's just surface level Rob Zombie, though. Like, it's not. The important thing is that you know that Rob Zombie and White Zombie are different. And the big difference is that there's no female. I have only just learned this information. (laughs) But now you know it. (laughs) Also, Callie asked me, did you really, did you think Rob Zombie's last name was Zombie? And I kind of sheepishly, uh. You know, we also had an interesting thing about facts in this episode because we found out that when you google what year was pepsi founded it says 1961 which is a fully <laughs> not true it was founded in like 1898 so that can't be right because tina turner was born in 1939 <clears throat> how could she have been created by pepsi co in 1985 by story that doesn't check out clearly there's something strange about this story I'm concerned that it's not possible to create a woman using Pepsi and boots. <laughs> I told y'all I watched a documentary called That Pepsi Commercial. <laughs> and that's what happened, so. Um, I had another white, Rob Zombie thing to say, and now I don't remember what it was. Well, me too, actually. Oh, oh, Rob Zombie is heavily influenced by Kiss oh, yeah. and Alice Cooper. So it's all we can relate anything. We can relate all of these things together. And, we can relate Kiss, Rob Zombie to ICP, although the jump seems not that far well, with that one. Kiss was heavily influenced by ICP. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are we ready to wrap it up? This here podcast is called Baby Lee Roth. You can find us on Gmail at babyleerothpodcast at gmail.com. On Instagram, Baby Lee Roth Podcast. And that's it. It's the only places we are. Yay. So long, suckers. I'll tell you all about it.